Welcome to Making the Most of Time with me, Elliot Apple. I'm a financial planner and caregiver. To give you a little background, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer when I was 25. Our world was changed instantly, and it's been a constant state of change ever since. Since then, I've been learning about the intersection of money, health, and loss, personally and professionally. This is a place to explore money, loss, and grief. It's about making the most of time, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. There are no taboo topics, no question is off limits. These conversations are for people like you, people who are about to lose a significant other, widows, caregivers, and anybody affected by a major health event. I'm glad you're here. So with that, let's start making the most of time. I'm excited for you to hear today's conversation because it's with Ann Garcia, a certified financial planner, professional, and owner of Independent Progressive Advisors. She also is the author of the College Financial Lady blog, and we get into everything college-related today. She shares what questions to ask on a tour, how merit and needs-based aid scholarships work, how to approach which colleges to select, how to estimate aid, how high of an income is too high to qualify for needs-based aid, how Anne and her kids actually approach deciding which colleges to apply to. And she also goes into depth about 529 plans, the benefits, what years to use them, what you can do with leftover 529 plans. And she also shares why the most advanced classes in high school may not be the best fit for a student if they're trying to maximize aid. So with that, I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Anne Garcia. Anne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's my pleasure. And maybe why you can just start the conversation with a background about yourself. Yeah. So I'm a financial advisor at Independent Progressive Advisors in Portland, Oregon. And I have a new book coming out called How to Pay for College, largely based on my experiences and as experiences as an advisor, you know, hearing families struggling to come up with you know, how to even approach the concept of, of paying for college. And on the other hand, you know, young adult clients who are struggling to get anything off the ground because they've got too much student loan debt. Yeah, it's a really tough challenge. And and how, how did you get into this? I feel like a lot of people sort of shy away from college planning and student loans and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there is a degree of opportunism to it. When early in my early in my career as an advisor, I found that our the firm that I was working for at the time was getting a lot of questions about college planning um, from their clients. And you know, it's kind of a new thing that we as advisors talk about college. For a long time, the mantra was sort of like, financial advisors don't work with people who can't figure out how to pay for college. Um, and, and so, so at my firm, we were getting these questions and none of the other advisors knew the answers to them. And I was a parent of young twins. And so this was something I needed to figure out for myself. So I kind of said, I'll, I'll take this topic. And, um, and I just started digging into it and it's the, you know, it's the proverbial onion where you're peeling back the layers because there really are a lot of, you know, a lot of components to developing a financial plan for college, you know, much like retirement where you're layering in, you know, investment assets and social security claiming strategies and, you know, healthcare considerations for people who are trying to retire before they're eligible for Medicare. You know, college is the same way. You're layering in savings and spending from cash flow and maybe you're, 
high school course curriculum where you're trying to get AP credits and maybe you're thinking about community college and grad school and um, tax credits and, you know, so many other, so many other pieces that, that go into developing a real financial plan for college. That is a very strong onion there. Um, what, <laughs> what surprised you the most as you sort of unpeeled this onion of college planning, like what jumped out of you that was just sort of surprising? Well, you know, I don't know if it's really surprising so much as shocking, just how, how very opaque our system is and how, you know, how little information parents have going into it. I mean, this is one of those, you know, this is the college application process is one of those situations where there's just such information asymmetry between the consumers of education and the providers of education. Um, And I think one of the really troubling aspects of that is that, that parents often walk away from the process feeling like, the goal of colleges is to is to fleece them for as much cash as possible and 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 there are definitely those entities out there um there are plenty of colleges who do operate on that basis but there are a large body of colleges who really want to do their best by by students um and who are you know generous with aid packages generous with scholarships um, and really focused on providing great experiences for the kids who enroll there. Wow. And how do you go about, you know, if someone's listening now, how do you go about figuring out which which are those colleges that want to fleece you and which which don't? <laughs> yeah. So um, so I think, you know, there's there are three big group, groupings of, of colleges. You know, on the one hand, you have the public colleges, and that's everything from community colleges um, up through, you know, the UC Berkeley's, Michigan's, Virginia's of, of the world. So there's a wide range of, um, of colleges there. And, and those are, you know, often very different, you know, different states have different missions for their colleges. You know, here in Oregon, our state schools really feel strongly that their mission is to educate the children of Oregon. And so they are committed to making sure that there's a place for everyone um, coming out of an Oregon high school somewhere somewhere in the system. Um, you know, the UC system or the, you know, the California state um, schools um, have, have a very different philosophy where there are different levels of, of school within there. Anyway, that's the public school, <laughs> the public school ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Then you have the private nonprofit ecosystem. And those are what we typically think of when we think of private colleges. There's a third group, which is um, for-profit colleges, um, and 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 I I would say by and large that is a highly predatory ecosystem. Those are all the schools that you hear about being subject to lawsuits um, for where students have paid tuition far in excess of the value of the education or the value of the degree that they're um, that they're receiving. Um, they're getting clawbacks of, of you know um, of loan programs, getting um, kicked out of federal aid programs and whatnot. So that's one group that you just want to avoid um, at at all costs. You know, within the non you know within the nonprofit or uh, private nonprofit arena, that's where you see a lot of different philosophies about what a college's role is. Um, 
and I would say, you know, the way of the way of of the way of figuring out how um, how as you know how a school sees its mission relative to your student is ask the college what would happen if I lost my job and was thus unable to pay for for college, and that will give you a pretty good indication of of where your <laughs> what your students value to to the to the school is, and it could be different for every school. Um, I mean, I had one one client I worked with um, the um, the the father. The parents were divorced. The father had um, had remarried. Um, his new wife was quite wealthy, and his daughter was attending a private college, where the new wife had agreed to pay the tuition. They then divorced after the daughter's freshman year, and the new ex-wife was like, "I'm not, I'm not paying for your kid's college." And he reached out to the college, and they said, "Well, you should fill out the FAFSA and um, get." Um, parent plus loans because we're not going to give you an aid package. Yikes! And so I had suggested that perhaps they should transfer to a different um, college because the school was expecting um, a single dad with three kids and um, you know not a not a massive income to come up with eighty thousand dollars a year for this one child. And wow, that was not not okay. <laughs> You know, I've had other um, other families who, um, you know, when they've been accepted to a college, just go back and ask for more aid on the basis of this isn't a, a package that's comfortable for our family. Here's how much we would have to borrow. And the school steps in and says, we want you here. So we will we will meet that. Wow. OK. So it sounds like asking a lot of questions of the institution and just, I guess, being persistent then. Exactly. I mean, the the hard the hard part for families is there isn't one set of rules that governs all of all of college. <laughs> so so there it is a it is a highly manual a highly manual process. But when you think of the dollars at stake, it's worth investing the time and energy in in figuring this out. If you're talking about private schools that cost seventy five eighty thousand dollars a year the difference in your picture between paying full price and paying a discounted price is probably worth the time it takes to get that discount. Yeah, definitely. I can see that um, being worthwhile to spend the time there. I I'm curious, sort of, how, how would you recommend families approach choosing where to go to college, knowing that Costs are a factor, and I know sometimes when I talk with people, they fall in love with the school, and by that point, it's I feel like it's kind of done. The conversation's over. It, they're just going to do anything possible to get their child there. So, like, if you're in their shoes, what would you be recommending to people who maybe haven't toured colleges yet but are about to and embark on this journey of figuring out how to pay for college? Yeah, you know, and that's a that's a really great point. You know, the the whole notion of colleges know that this is a love affair for you, it's a business for them. <laughs> so, so you need to separate those, those two things. Um, and I, I think, you know, the, the other thing that is really important for parents to remember is if we all agreed that we weren't going to pay $80,000 a year for college, college wouldn't cost $80,000 a year. Unfortunately, if you look at the vast majority of private schools, 
on average, between a quarter and a third of students are not even filing the FAFSA, which is the required financial aid form, which means that a quarter to a third of students are going in there expecting that they're going to pay full price to attend there. That means that you <laughs> need to figure out ways. That's staggering. Colleges, it, it is mind-boggling. My daughter goes to one of those colleges, and it is mind-boggling seeing the comments on the parents' page. Like, oh, we knew this is what we were getting into. It was like, I knew that this is how this college provides financial aid. So we did not get ourselves into that. <laughs> I'm still just trying to soak that in that a third to a quarter don't just aren't expecting it. Like, I just can't wrap my head around that. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing for those of us who do not want to spend seventy five or $80,000 a year is it means we got to figure out who's going to give our kids some money. <laughs> so with that being said, how do you look for colleges? I think the very first thing first question for parents to ask is, why do I want my child to go to college? And there are lots and lots of good answers um, to that. Um, And when you approach it from the perspective of why do I want my kid to go to college, you unlock all sorts of possibilities. Um, there There are tons and tons of statistics and data out there that college as a whole produces great outcomes independent of which college you go to. So college graduates as a whole have higher income levels than non-college graduates. Um, But not only that, the personal well-being of college graduates is much higher. College graduates are more likely to marry. They're less likely to divorce. They have less incidence of diabetes and heart disease. Now, a lot of these have a socioeconomic component to them, of course, but mm-hmm. um, but college is a good outcome. A college degree is a good outcome for your child. There's also, um, you know, there was a, a big research um, project, the Gallup-Purdue poll that goes on um, on an ongoing basis. Um, but what they identified is that for well-being in later life, it had that um, that there was no difference in in personal satisfaction with life on the basis of what college you attended. And instead they, they, um, they tied it back to six experiences that students had in college. And they were things like feeling like professors cared about them, um, having someone who was a mentor or advisor to them, participating in extracurriculars, um, having a project that took more than a semester to, um, to, to complete. So, those were the kinds of things that made people successful um, over the long haul, not, you know, going to Cornell or going to Harvard or going to Stanford um, versus going to, say, um, University of Oregon or University of Texas. So so I think that's, you know, start with why are we doing this? <laughs> Why are we doing this in the first place? Okay, our goal is that our child gets a a college education. Um, I think the next thing to think about is what is your budget going to support for college? Um, Because all of those things that get you a degree and get you long-term success are available at pretty much any college if you can take the time to find it. And, you know, there's sometimes... 
I, I would say you could think of, you know, public college versus private college as push versus pull, right? In a private college, and I have, I have twins, one at a private college and one at a public college. The private colleges will push those experiences onto you. The public colleges offer them and it's up to you to go and pull them out. Um, and there may be opportunities within public colleges like honors colleges and whatnot, where you get a smaller community, academic residential communities, which my son who's at a public college did, which was great in sort of getting him um, going on these, um, on these experiences. Um, but what is your budget support? And, um, and have a conversation with your kid about that. And when you have that conversation, I think it's most beneficial to have it as a goals-based conversation versus a constraints-based conversation. So the conversation is not, we can afford $20,000 a year for your college, so you need to pick a college that comes within, <laughs> that comes in within that. It's, it's, we want you to get a college degree and we can afford, for example, um, we can afford for you to go in state if you get this merit scholarship we can, you know, we, um, we think the best pathway for you is probably going to be two years at a community college and then transferring to a four-year school. Um, but here's our, our goal is for you to get a college education. Our support is this, you know, financially and this of helping you find pathways that, um, that work for you. I think the next piece of it is to think about what makes your child feel successful or unsuccessful. And how do you put them in a situation where they're mo most likely to experience the things that make them successful and least likely to experience the ones that make them unsuccessful? So my son, for example, is a smart kid who was not a good high school student. <clears throat> and, um, and this led to the problem that as a smart kid, he tested into higher level classes as a person who wanted to, you know, play soccer and have a job and have a girlfriend and not do five hours of homework every night, <laughs> that made him not have a very good GPA. <laughs> he also struggled by having a twin sister who was what we call a D1 mathlete, um, who, you know, just knocked it out of the park and everything she did in, in high school. And he would come home from school. I, I'm multiple nights every week. He would be crying over his homework saying, you know, I'm the dumbest person in all of my classes and whatnot. Um, oh. Which, you know, as a parent is just, it's the most heartbreaking thing. Cause I was like, you know, I thought we were doing the right thing by encouraging him to take all these, you know, AP, uh, IB classes and, you know, in harder classes. And clearly we were wrong. Um, he's now gone on to a college where, you know, his freshman year, um, we were talking and he's, he's a 4.0 student in college. He's interning in corporate finance at a fortune 100 company. Now he found a college where, um, you know, one of the things he said to me a ways into his freshman year, he's like, I must've gone to the hardest high school of anyone because they all did better in high school than I did. And I'm doing better in college. And I think college is easy and they think college is hard, but he found, you know, he found an environment where he was feeling successful and it's made, it's made all the difference to him. Now his sister, his, his, his twin sister is at a top 10 school um, we could have, you know, continued the conversation of, well, Alex, because you're smart, you know, we need you to go to one of those schools. Looking at her academic environment, 
he would have a horrible time there. He would, you know, he would have continued to struggle and, and never would have felt successful. She's, you know, she's also got a great internship. But I think if you look at it, what they're doing this summer internship wise, you wouldn't say that her experience at this school has given her a leg up in the world that he somehow didn't didn't get. So, um, so, so look for environments where your child is going to be successful or look, look for what drives their success, um, and what drives their sense of, of failure and try to encourage them in directions where, um, you know, where they're going to, where they're going to find, um, where they're going to find that success. I also think it's really, really helpful to do college visits because there are things about the college experience that kids can't internalize, you know, because they look at it and they're like, 5,000 people my age, no parents? That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) And there's probably beer and (laughs) sports and... (laughs) and All life's experiences. They don't think of it from the perspective of some of these are good fits and others are not good fits. Um, and, And so doing some college visits, even if it's just going around to your local schools, and in some ways just going to your local schools, especially if they have no intention of going there, can really help them to identify the things that are great for them and not so great for them. So like when my daughter and I did a college tour, we went and did, you know, did this crazy, you know, 18 colleges in, in five days on the, on the East coast and and in Chicago. (laughs) Um, But it was really, really, it was really, really interesting what you pick up on as you hear more and more of these stories. So for example, one of the colleges we went to, we asked our tour guide, what made him choose this school over um, over his other choices. And he was a pre-med student. And he said, you know, all of the colleges that I toured um, when in the pre-med program, they took a lot of pride in pointing out how difficult their weeder classes were for this major. Um, and when I came to this college, they talked about all the ways that they tried to make um, pre-med majors successful and get them through the program to graduation as um as, as pre-med. And that sounded, you know, that sounded pretty nice. Um, you know, the school that my daughter chose, one of the things she loves about it is they have not just dorms, but within the dorms, they have houses, which are a sub, a subgroup socially. And every house within the dining halls has their own table. And she loved the idea of just not having the drama of who am I going to sit with at lunch? Wow, that does sound pretty unique. What what other questions would you ask? Like, if you're going on a tour, what else did you find helpful, or you know, just visiting? Maybe not a tour. Yeah. So, um, so obviously, there's the financial side of of colleges. One of the big questions to ask to find out from colleges, and and usually you can find this out on their website, but you can always ask their admissions or financial aid people: is do you give merit scholarships or need based scholarships or both? Um, most colleges give both, but some only do one or the other. Um, so, you know, the Ivy League, Stanford and whatnot, the top 10, top 20 schools don't give merit aid because all of their students are fabulous, right? It doesn't, you know, being fabulous is table stakes for admission, you know, full mm-hmm. IB diploma with a, you know, 6.2 GPA, <laughs> perfect SAT, um, president of the student body, that's just, that's, that's just to be considered for admission. Um, 
So if you are a family that is higher income, but not willing to pay $80,000 a year, you need to make sure that you're looking at colleges that offer merit scholarships. And Anne, can I pause there really quickly? Could we of define course. higher income for people listening? Like, where does that start and end? Because I feel yeah. like that's sort of a nebulous term for a lot of people. It is. Um, and so it and it depends on a lot of factors. So, um, so I would say, as a general rule, for public colleges, if your income is over about $120,000, you are not a candidate for need-based aid at a public college. At private colleges, that level can go much higher, in particular if you have multiple students in college, because private colleges for their needs analysis methodology will typically look at how many students you have in college and, cons- and, and consider that as part of your, um, you know, as part of your um, overall aid package. I would say for private colleges, probably, you know, single kid going to a private college, um, you might, you might be able to get financial need-based financial aid up to say $200,000, um, of, of income. I've seen it higher for families again with multiple, um, with multiple students in college. The most of the, um, needs-based, um, financial aid methodologies, So the FAFSA and the CSS profile are heavily reliant on income. Assets are a factor, but a much a much smaller one. So you can really think of your income as the driver of whether you're a candidate for need-based aid or merit or merit aid. The other thing that I always encourage families to do is um, is complete the. Um, it used to be called the FAFSA forecaster. Now it's called the student aid estimator which is a horrible name because it has nothing to do with how much aid you're going to get. But it's on the Department of Education's website. Um, It's called the Student Aid Estimator. And and you can enter all of your data as you would on the FAFSA, and it will tell you what your expected family contribution or student aid index, which is the new name for it, um, is approximately. Um, If that number is lower than the cost of attendance at a college, you could be eligible for need-based aid. If it's higher than the cost of attendance, you are not eligible for need-based aid. So for example, if your EFC or SAI is $30,000 and a college costs $75,000, then you have a financial need. And if that college offers financial aid on the basis of need, you are probably going to receive some of it or at least be eligible for it um, if, if you apply there. On the other hand, if your EFC or SAI is $80,000 and your college costs $75,000, you are not going to get need-based financial aid. Um, and in that case, you wanna be, um, be looking for colleges that offer merit scholarships. Perfect. Thank you for going into detail on that. I'm sure that was helpful for people to know sort of how to estimate this on their own. Yeah. And don't bother trying to estimate it on your own. <laughs> Just go and do the calculator there. There's um, So the, um, the, the Department of Education actually has a great website for all these tools. Um, it's um, studentaid.gov. And you can do the, um, the student aid estimator there. Um, that is for the federal methodology from the FAFSA. There's another financial aid form called the CSS profile that a lot of private colleges use. Um, and that one you can estimate on the College Board website. It's not 
it's not a great estimator because colleges have a lot of leeway in how they apply the elements of the formula there, but it can give you some sense of it. Most families have a higher expected family contribution in the institutional or the CSS profile um, methodology than, than on the FAFSA. So if you are looking at private colleges, you probably want to do that one as well. Okay. You've selected a school. Uh, you've gone on tours. You've gone and done your expected family contribution or student aid index now. What comes next? So next comes, I mean, obviously when you're applying to colleges, you need to apply to multiple colleges. Um, So, well, I mean, my son applied to two. (laughs) My daughter applied to eight. Um, um, And and know that there's a range of potential outcomes um, in there. What One thing I would encourage families to do, if you have a really strong top choice college that's maybe a little bit of a stretch financially, find an academic peer college that is likely to offer you more aid. And there are various reasons why a college might offer you more aid. Um, One is if you're a candidate for need-based aid, you might have one that uses the profile and one that uses the FAFSA. Or you might have one that meets 100% of need through grants, whereas this one includes student loans and work study in their in their aid package or you may be eligible for a specific merit scholarship at um, this other college that you're not at the first one because if you are accepted to both colleges and get a lesser financial aid package at your top choice college you might be able to say hey you know what college b is offering us this much money (laughs) you know an extra $12,000 a year compared with what you're offering. And that is going to be a decision-making factor for us. Can we, (laughs) can you up, up our package? But that's, you know, that's a ways down the line. So as you're looking at colleges, you know, you'll, you'll come up with a pool of schools that you want to um, apply to. One of the things, you know, for, for parents now looking at their kids' choices, you know, when I went to college a million years ago, um, you had to actually reach out to every college and request their application. So now students use the Common App. And the Common App is, um, I mean, my daughter thought it was like Santa Claus. Because <laughs> you could just <laughs> check boxes to apply to colleges. <laughs> and it was going to be great. Um, the thing with college applications now is, you know, number one, each one is probably going to cost you about $100 between application fees, test scores. If they take the CSS profile, you pay for that. Um, and that's just the application piece of it. And then many of them have supplemental um, application requirements, whether it's additional essays or different letters of recommendation, um, portfolio submissions, whatever whatever the case may be. So it's really important to winnow down your list of schools that you're applying to. Um, for context, my daughter applied to eight colleges. Two were public colleges. Um, she had to write 24 essays for just eight college applications where two of them just took the common app standard essay. <laughs> but between you know applications and, and scholarships, that is a monumental project for a kid who's trying to also enjoy and participate and succeed in their senior year of, of high school. So, um, so you need to cull your list. <laughs> and you <laughs> um, 
So what we did, because my daughter truly thought every school we visited was was marvelous, and then were others that we hadn't visited that she also thought were marvelous, um, we went through and did the net price calculator for every single one of them and just crossed probably half the schools off the list just on that basis. Um, then we went through and, and we went through this exercise of saying, what is the path that would lead you to say yes to this school? So we started by saying, what is your top choice school where if you got accepted to all of these, you would go there? <clears throat> and she came up with, she came up with two. So which I thought that was pretty good for a 17 year old. <laughs> um, and then we went through the other ones and uh, through each of the other ones and said, said, how do you end up going here? And it's like, okay, I didn't get in here, 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 or here. Um, you know, for example, she really liked the idea of going to college in Boston. And so we, we narrowed her Boston applications down to three schools, which were, you know, one that was, well, MIT. So likelihood of getting in there is like getting a, you know, the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Um, and then, um, and then she loved Tufts as well. We thought that was a good fit for her and she had a very good chance of being accepted there. And then she chose a third, a third college because, just the experience of being a college student in Boston seemed so wonderful. And, and that was one where she knew she was going to get in. And so her decision on that was, I love the idea of going to Boston. School number one, very low odds of getting in. School number two, good, but not 100% odds of getting in. School number three, I should be a shoe in for that. And there's enough scholarships there that I could make it work financially. So, so, you know, you definitely need to, need to narrow, narrow your list down and, and, and it really depends on what's important to you. You know, my son, on the other hand, his whole thing was, he just wanted to get out of Dodge. He's always been, um, you know, he's always been the one who blazed his own trail. You know, he played on a soccer team that none of his friends played on. He dated a girl from another high school. So when it came to college, he was like, I do not want to just go to U of O with all of my friends. And we're like, well, that's a nice idea, except that you're not a very good student. So you're not going to have a ton of choices <laughs> of where else to go because we're going to put the same effort into paying for college as you put into doing high school. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so he, you know, he went out and looked and he, um, he had knocked it out of the park on the ACT and he found a, um, a public college. Cause that was his other thing. His vision of college was, you know, football Saturdays and dorm life. And probably there was some academic piece that was a requirement <laughs> of participating in all of that. But he was really focused on what the, you know, what the environment of the college was. And he found a, um, a public school that had a scholarship, for out-of-state students with great test scores that made the price for um, for him to attend there pretty much the same as it was for him to go to um, to U of O. Wow! And so those were his, you know, those were his two choices. But um, I, you know, I say that by way of saying there's a scholarship for every student, and you know, it's up to um, so with with the financial piece of college being a key part of your lens, um, it's you know, you, you can do the legwork and, and, and find what's out there um, so that you can make sure that, that the financial piece of it, um, you know, comes into play as well and, and is a, a guideline in, in that decision. And, and I'll say too, you know, we were really, 
we were really hard with our kids on here's here's what your college budget is and and they are both blissfully happy and extremely successful in the colleges that they've chosen that worked in in our budget so i don't feel like anybody was shortchanged anywhere in in that process I think that goes back to your sort of question earlier about where where are they going to succeed, knowing that it's more about sort of the college degree and their experience than other things that maybe people might focus on. Yeah. Well, I know like with with Alex, my son, you know, when he talked about going to Oregon, he's like, well, I guess Mateus and I are going to be roommates. And Kevin said, this is the dorm that we should live in. You know, it's all like that. And when he talked about the school that he actually chose, he said, I think I'm going to join the, um, I think I'm going to live in the academic residential community for business majors because that'll be a great way to meet people and, you know, start to network. And do you know, you can sign up for intramurals as a free agent and they'll put you on a team. And so I'm going to play indoor soccer in the fall and, you know, and this, that, and the other. So everything about that was, I'm going to engage in this environment and everything about being, you know, staying local was, I'm going to go through the process here. Yeah, that's well, that's amazing that he found a spot that works best for him. Yeah, yeah. And it's been it's been so much fun to see him, you know, to see him feel successful as a student. I mean, he was, he was a horrible math student, he actually had to take a credit recovery math class his senior year of high school because he got a D in calculus. Um, and he's tutoring statistics as a college student. Wow. Wow. What a, what a shift. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's shift gears. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned Alex in this case found a scholarship and you said there's a scholarship out there for everybody. Maybe we can get into the meat of how do we actually pay for college going back to your book now that you've found the college you want to go to, you've selected it, they've accepted you. How do how do you make this all come together now? Yeah. Well, so there's a couple of pieces of that. You know, one is, don't wait till that point to figure out how you're going to pay for it. <laughs> um, no parent of an 18 year old should be surprised that they have a college bound student in their house and say, Oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? <laughs> yes. You know, if college is important to you, make it important by carving out some dollars to pay for it. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is believing the lie that they will get that they will get more financial aid if they don't save for college. It is in theory true because your assets are a portion of the financial aid consideration, but the reality is more savings gives you more choices. So for example, my daughter was accepted at University of Oregon with a full tuition scholarship. Um, that meant that our cost for her to go there was going to be room and board. She was also accepted at a top 10 private university with a generous financial aid package, but where her costs were still more than room and board only. Because we saved, she was able to choose that college. Had we not saved, that would not have been one of her choices. And she's had just a a fabulous experience there. It's a perfect environment for her. Um, you know, and, 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 and not only that, but it's an, it's been an opportunity for her to see a different part of the country and meet new people versus going with, you know, a quarter of her graduating class 
down the road yeah. to to the public school. And I, I I do not say that in any way to to denigrate our public schools. We have wonderful public universities in um, in Oregon. I just wanted her to have choices choices beyond that. So um, so so save for college. Um, and use that savings to guide your decisions for college. Look at your budget as you get closer, you know, as you get closer to college, there's a few components of paying for college. You know, one is how much do I have saved? Divide that by four. That's how much you spend from savings every year. Um, then how much can you pay for out of, you know, just out of pocket? Most families use a combination of savings, cash flow, and loans to, to pay for college. Um, the next consideration is, are you eligible for any of the education tax credits? So the American Opportunity Tax Credit is the best tax credit for undergrads. It's worth $2,500 a year. Um, you have to have adjusted gross income under $160,000 to claim it. So that could be part of your college budget as well. Um, but the big piece is, how much savings do you have? How much can you pay out of pocket? And look hard at your budget. I hear so many families say, oh yeah, we can easily afford $10,000 a year out of, uh, out of pocket. And I look at their budget and I say, where's this going to come from? Because I see your monthly surplus is about $200. So that means you could pay $2,400 out of pocket. <laughs> um, that's all important to figure out and to be really, and to be really diligent about it. And then the final piece is, are you willing, you know, are you, are, are you okay with um, student loans? I think the direct student loan is an acceptable amount of debt for a student to take on. If, um, if they borrow that much every year, their total loan balance when they graduate, depending on interest rates will be somewhere between 27 and $30,000 monthly payments of about $325 a month for 10 years is going to get that paid off. So if that's a difference maker for them to go to college, um, that's okay too. But that's what your college, you know, that's what your college um, budget is. Once you have that budget, um, you know, then you can start looking at, at, you know, what colleges are likely to fit that. Um, when it comes to, you know, the nitty gritty of actually paying for it, um, my, my suggestion is always look at you know, spending, spending a quarter of your savings every year, um, because that'll help you take advantage of, of all the other pieces of it. I think a lot of families go, oh, I'm just going to blow through, I'm going to use my savings for as long as possible. And then, um, and then figure out the last two and a half years <laughs> or whatever that is. You know, the problem, if you do that, if you have everything in a 529 and you're using hundred percent, $529, um, to pay for, you know, your first couple of years is you're not going to be able to claim the tax credit for all four years because you have to, in order to claim the um, American Opportunity Tax Credit, you have to spend $4,000 from something other than a 529 um, every, every year. On that subject, you know, people often ask, what's the best way to save for college? What account should I use? And so again, you should save for college <laughs> um, and you should use a 529. Um, there are a lot of reasons why 529s are, are best. Um, I know a lot of people are like, well, what if my kid doesn't go to college? If you are a college educated parent who has multiple children, the likelihood that none of them goes to college is, is slim to none. Um, and you can use 529s for a lot of things. You can use it for community college. You can use it for professional development. Um, I heard a story of a guy who had extra money in his 529 and one of his kids' 529s after all of his kids were done with college. 
he changed himself to the beneficiary, found a college that had a PGA tour golf program and went and took golf lessons. With it. That's amazing. So, so, um, so your risk of never using your 529 money is, is actually pretty, pretty low, especially if you have multiple children. Um, the other reason why 529s are such a good savings vehicle is when you look at the very short time horizon that you have to save, you know, comparing college to retirement college, you have, if you start when you're, when your child is born, you have 18 years to save for college. If you start saving for retirement, when you start working, you have 40 plus years to save. So you have this really compressed time window where you're going to be shifting through a lot of different um, risk profiles as you go from further away to um, to closer to college, that constant rebalancing in your account will create a lot of taxable income for you on an ongoing basis. And that reduces the dollars that you have available to spend for college. The other reason why 529s are so much better than taxable accounts for um, for saving for college is if you are receiving need-based aid, if you take a distribution from your 529, that is not reported as income on um, your tax return or on your financial aid forms. If you take that same distribution from a taxable account, all of the gain that's taxable to you is income on your tax return. So it's going to increase, you know, your tax bill, reduce the amount of that money that's available to pay for college. And it is reported as income on your financial aid form, CSS profile or the FAFSA. Um, as applicable, and that's going to raise your expected family contribution, your student aid index, and therefore reduce the amount of financial aid that you um, that you receive. So, 529s are really the best tool for saving for college. Um, you know, the other the other um, type of account that used to be popular and is um, is less so anymore is a custodial account like an UTMA or an UGMA. Um, the, the problem with those is the financial aid formulas um, have different assessment rates for the different buckets of things that you can um, use to spend from them. And, and so the four different buckets are the parents' income, the students, um, the students' income, the parents' assets, and the students' assets. So a 529 is a, an asset of the parent, and 5.64% of its balance counts as available to pay for college. So if you have $10,000 in a 529, you, that means you have what $560 of, <laughs> of increase in your, in your financial aid. Student assets are assessed at 20% of their value. So if you had $10,000 in an UTMA account, that would um, increase your expected family contribution or your student aid index by $2,000. So, um, so it's much more heavily penalized in, um, in the aid formulas. So get a 529, <laughs> set up an automatic contribution to it every year on your kid's birthday. Think about the person you want them to grow up to be and decide how much more you can put into that account, how much you can increase that automatic contribution by, even if it's $10 a month, it's still going to result in more choices available to them when, um, when, when they graduate. Great tips. And I, and I've heard also that maybe you want to wait, like, let's say someone does have money in a custodial account, like an UTMA, generally they might want to wait till the last few years. So that isn't picked up by the profiles. Is that a good way to think about that? 
So the better strategy, if someone does have an UTMA, is their freshman year in high school, liquidate the account and move it to a custodial 529 because that takes it off the books as a student asset and moves it to a parent asset where it'll get that, that lower, you know, that, that lower treatment in the formula. Um, what does happen with, so, so in that at my account, if the student were to sell the assets to pay for college, the problem with hanging on to it is you've got that 20% of its value counting against you every, you know, every year in, in the formula. Um, but if you sell it, you're, you're creating income for the student. Now, students do get what's called an income protection allowance. Um, it's about $7,000. So, you know, so for a student who doesn't have a lot of income, you could be realizing a portion of that gain um, every year without having a big impact on you know, on, on your financial aid picture, it's going to, you know, it gets trickier as students get into college and start having internships or even just, you know, full-time regular jobs that where, where wages are, are quite high. I mean, your typical internship pays, um, upwards of $20 an hour, um, for, uh, um, for 10 weeks of, of work in the summer. And so that's a, you know, that ends up being, you know, that'll get you over the, the income protection allowance pretty, pretty quick. But you know what? Our local target is paying $24 an hour for, um, for new hires. So I think, you know, a lot of kids who are working this summer are going to have income at a level that puts them above the income protection allowance where they would not have room, um, room to be realizing gains in, in an UTMA account. So the reason I said freshman year in high school is that your income on the aid formulas is what's called prior prior year. So when you fill out, um, when you complete the FAFSA, which you'll do, you know, for, for a family who's, um, for, for parents of a high school senior, you'll do that fall of senior year for freshman year of college, and then you do it again every single year. When you fill that out, you're going to use your most recently completed tax return. And so if you're filling it out in the fall of 2022, you're going to use 2021's tax year as your income for the FAFSA. And so that is the tax year that started January 1st of sophomore year and went till December 31st of junior year of high school. So by December 31st of sophomore year of high school, you need to have recognized all the income that you don't want to recognize on the FAFSA. That's really good. Super to know confusing on the timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why careful planning has to be paid attention to, and each each situation is unique, and it's 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 terrible that it's this complicated, but good that we have resources for it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 honestly, that's what's really unfortunate when families wait until senior year of high school to plan for college. They've pretty much foregone all of the planning opportunities for for college. Um, at least for financial aid. And then oftentimes for even for, um, you know, for example, most, most state schools um, have automatic merit scholarships, but they have different criteria for them. So when my kids were applying to, um, to college, our in-state schools all based their merit scholarships on unweighted GPA. 
not weighted GPA. <laughs> so um, that's good information freshman year of high school. You know, if you're on a path, you know, if you're planning to go to your public, um, you know, your public university, how do they award merit scholarships? What What's the GPA you need to get? Because so much of where we're pushed and where we're directed is, you know, that better, faster, stronger path of, you know, we should all be taking AP classes, you know, take, take the most rigorous curriculum you, you possibly can. And that's not necessarily the best answer. My son, for example, we pushed him that way. He did not have a good GPA from high school. Had we acknowledged the fact that he was not an IB student <laughs> as a high school student and, and encouraged him to pursue a course load that was a better fit for him as a, as a high school student, he would have gotten $12,000 more every year in scholarships from the, from the school that he's, that he's attending if he had had just a little bit better GPA. And wow. I was like, wow, I supposedly know something about this. <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's important to start planning early. So look early in your high school career, early in your student's high school career at what are the, you know, what, what kinds of students get admitted to your state schools? Where do the scholarships come from? Who gets them? Um, so that you can be planning an appropriate curriculum and targeting a GPA that's going to get you those scholarships. Because by and large, those are hard cutoffs. So if it's a 3.7 GPA, 3.699999 with all, with all IB classes, doesn't matter as much as 3.7 would have. Oh, that's, that's tough to hear, and I'm sure tough, tough to experience. Um. I want to I want to wrap up here because um, we're getting close here to time. And I want to hear a little bit more about your book and sort of where where can people find it and just more about it. Yeah, thanks so much for asking. So my book is called How to Pay for College, um, and it is coming out in July of this year. So um, we'll be here soon. It's available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and at your favorite independent bookstore um, as well. Um, I, I also have um, a website, howtopayforcollege.com, where I have tons and tons of free content. Um, and in addition to that, I have a, um, an online college planning course called the College Financial Plan Masterclass, which is really targeted to people who are at the sort of the final stages of college planning. You know, if your student is a sophomore, junior, senior in high school, and you're really looking at things for the first time, That'll walk you through all the steps of coming up with a with a spending plan, coming up with a budget, researching colleges, um, negotiating aid awards, um, and and all that good stuff. Which is also um, you know also in the book, but the book is more focused on the long term journey from um, from parenthood to to college. Gotcha. Excellent resources. I, I feel like we could keep going. I feel like we almost need a more in-depth version two of this conversation. Um, but with that, I want to conclude the question. Like. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm going to sign you up for it. Um, so I want to wrap up then, Anne, with a question I like to ask every podcast guest at the end, which is what is one act of kindness that's been transformational in your life? That's a great question and um, and a really fitting one with my with my book coming out next next week. So I um, for a long time have written a blog about college planning, which is the basis of my how to pay for college um, website. And um, 
two years ago right now, I was listening to an industry podcast. Um, it was Kitsis and Carl, and it was about writing for your practice. And um, and so Carl Richards said at one point in the um, in the podcast, you know, the great thing about writing a blog is it's really easy to write a book. And by the way, there aren't enough um, books in our industry by women and people of color. So if that's you and you want to write a book, I want to help you. And so please reach out to me. So I did. And he has just been a fabulous resource for me without, you know, without his generosity of time and wisdom and um, emotional support, um, my book wouldn't wouldn't exist. So that was an incredible act of kindness. I'm extraordinarily grateful to him. And um, if you read my book and like it, please be grateful to him as well, because without him, it wouldn't exist. Amazing. I love that. And Carl's done a lot for our industry. So it's always nice to hear more stories about him. Yeah, he's just he's he's just so generous with his time and knowledge and and kindness. Well, and I really appreciate you being here today. And thanks for sharing everything. And I hope the book launch goes amazingly. Hopefully people who are listening, go pick up that copy at your independent bookstore or Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Elliot Apple is an investment advisor representative of Kindness Financial Planning, LLC. However, in hosting this podcast, Elliot is not acting as an investment advisor representative individually or on behalf of Kindness Financial Planning. The information and opinions in this podcast are for general, informational, and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment, financial, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication, and such opinions are subject to change. No representation is made as to the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Any past performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. All indices referenced are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. All investments involve a certain level of risk. You should carefully consider if an investment is suitable for you before making an investment. Please consult your legal, financial, and other professionals to determine what may be appropriate for you.